Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. Got your Bibles? I hope you do. You want to turn to the book of Isaiah as we continue to explore this very powerful book on prophecy and on how we are to live. Um, I mean, I've read, I've read Isaiah many times. I always tell people, you know, I've probably read the Bible at least 50 or 60 times in my life, many times because of school. <laughs> when, I was in, when I was getting my master's degree, I had to read. We had to go through the Bible constantly. But it's amazing that every time I go through it, I always find something that I missed previously. God is always revealing um, things. I, and I'm not even sure that it's, you know, I think it's me. My heart wasn't ready to read what it said when, when I first read it. And now it is. You know, where do we find our hope? What, what, what gets us, what, what motivates us, number one, to get up in the morning and then to go about our day, to continue through the whole day and not give up in the middle of it? I've had a few days like that where I want to give up in the middle of the day. I just want to go back to bed. If I just go back to bed, it'll be fine. You know, the current state of our world um, will, will kind of sometimes will cause us to, uh, to want to give up, to want to withdraw and, and not have to deal with the, the stress and the trials and the troubles that are in our lives. And, and not even, even if our life is fine, it's, it's the things that are going on in the world around us. You think about it. You think about what's going on. Think about the troubles in the world. But the, the thing is, we, we cannot, the problem comes for us when we, we try to ground our life in what we see in our present situations. In fact, we, we try to find stability in our lives with our current environment and current, you know, we all, we all want to go back to what was normal. I'm not so sure I want to go back to what was normal because normal wasn't the best. I don't think what's coming, what the world wants for us coming up is the best either. But when we, when we take everything we are, when we base how we are upon what is happening in our life, when we don't have something deeper at the core of, of, of what our life means, we're missing something. It's not going to be best. We, we place our, our hope in the status quo. And when we experience all kinds of loss in our lives, or trials in our lives, sometimes what we'll do is we may, we may either respond with rage, we get mad at the world and mad at what's going on, or we go the other direction when we have deep despair. We're bipolar. When we, when we look at what we th- is the status quo and we base our stability on that. See, the sad thing about it is that, that we in our society today, as, as you know, people of the United States and as Christians, we have, all of a sudden now, we've worked so hard and we've only created our own vulnerability. You know, there are events in this world that... that Make us think about what we place our hope in. Pandemics, crime rate. You know, there are places where the crime rate is up 200%. 
The world is, is in trouble. Or we, we look at the, around the world and, and we, we look at the social issues that are happening in the world today. I don't have time to, to, to sit here and tell you all the social issues that are happening. And we may not even realize it here, but there are a lot of issues in the world today that we don't even see because we live in a, in a place where we're kind of shielded from it. But when you start venturing outside, unfortunately, to the two coasts, towards the two coasts of the United States, you start to see what some of the issues people are having. Valid or not, real or not, there are still issues. And we look at the natural disasters. I was reading, um, I don't know how many of you remember when Mount St. Helens went off. <laughs> I remember it. And now they're talking about, in Oregon, the, the magma is starting to come up under the mountains. A whole range that has magma, the ground is starting to rise. And what do we do about it? We can't do anything about it. It's completely out of our control. But if we rest upon the fact that we're standing on, quote, solid ground, we're going to be sadly mistaken one day. And something that I have learned, unfortunately, recently, really, is that time is against us. Our bodies are slowly dying. And there's nothing we can do about it. Well, there is. We could eat better. And feel better. But time is not our friend. When we base it on the status quo. And the things of this world. See, when, when, we, are, when we do that, when we base our stability on the world. And we, be, we start to realize how defenseless we are. We realize that we can't stand up against the buffetings of life on our own. We can't. But see, this is where Jesus comes to us. Or, I would even make the argument, we finally realize that Jesus has been there all the time and we're finally listening to him. When we're at our lowest spot, when we we finally say, I can't do this anymore. Christ is there. The Holy Spirit is there. And it is through Christ that sometimes, most of the time, our losses will become pathways of hope. You know, the greatest privilege we have is when we find God himself. There's no greater privilege in this world than to know Jesus Christ. And the thing is, is that in reality, in this world, that's really what we need. We need Christ so Isaiah's gonna, he's gonna kind of give us, he's gonna set us up to our hearts up to see God, to help us to focus on God. The key is not just that we are to believe who God is and to believe in God, but the real key is what do you value? Where is your value? So let's look in Isaiah. We're in chapter two, and. We will be going through almost all this chapter. I think we're going to hit all this chapter today. We go to chapter 2. We're going to read the first two verses. This is a separate vision from his first vision that we read in chapter 1. So Isaiah is having multiple visions. God is coming and revealing things to him at multiple times. This is what it says. It says, The word that Isaiah the son of Amoz saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It says, It shall come to pass in the latter days... That the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills 
and all the nations shall flow to it. See, the eyes of the prophet are looking beyond today. The eyes of the prophet are looking forward to a time, peering into the future, a time that's called the latter days. It's a term that's common in Scripture. And when you think of the latter days, you think it actually could be also be translated as the days of the end. What Isaiah is seeing here, Isaiah is seeing a time when the house of the Lord in Israel will be lifted up and all the nations will flow to it. We know that this is future because it hasn't happened yet. There is In these verses, there are uh, multiple things here. There's, uh, there's not just spiritual, there's also physical things that are happening. But the time that he's talking about when the Messiah comes, this will be a time when there will be enthusiastic worship of God. Because it says the nations will flow to it. All the nations will flow to it. You know, during the time of Isaiah, what they would do is, when they wanted to build a place of worship, they would take it and they'd build it on the toppest, the highest hill they could find on the top of it. They wanted to be as close to God, who was in heaven, who they thought of as being above, as close as they can be. They'd build their shrines and, 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 and different temples on the mountaintop, be closer to heaven. But what does God do? God chose a mountaintop for his house in Israel. It's called Zion. You know, Zion is only 2,438 feet above sea level. And just to give you a little comparison, you know, when the kingdom split, the northern kingdom set up a temple in Bethel, on the mountain of Bethel. And in Bethel, that mountain is 2,800 feet high. Now, you could just imagine the arguments that went on between the Sumerians and the Israelites, the Jewish people, about, or the Judahites, about, well, you know, our, our, our temple's higher than yours. We're closer to God than you are. Right? But that was the idea. The idea is that you would put the house of God on the highest mountain. So what Isaiah sees is, he sees the time will come in the latter days when the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established at the highest mountains. See, it was Zion where God chooses to be the place where he will be worshipped. Not a very impressive place, right now especially, if you look at the pictures of modern-day Jerusalem. But one day it will be lifted up. In fact, if you and just as a little side note, if you know anything about uh, the book of Revelation, if you've read any of it, what will happen is all the other mountains in the world will sink and Zion will be the highest mountain that there is. Now, think about that. Everest sinking to be level. See, the real church of Jesus Christ today is rarely impressive in the eyes of men. I said the real church. There's a lot of churches out there that aren't the real church. I'm not going to, I'm not going to name them. I don't want to get in trouble yet. The day's coming where I will start naming names. Um, I'm, I'm feeling like I should, but I'm not going to just yet. But it's not impressive. But the day is coming when the nations of the world will give up their idolatries, give up all of the things, all their worldviews that draws them away from God, and they will go to God. They will seek out God. 
And the true church will be the leaders in worship. And here's what Isaiah says about it. He says, And many people shall come, in verse 3, and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You see, what, what God is promising here is something that the church has longed for. We have longed for people to desire to worship God. Not being forced to, but have this deep, heartfelt desire that they want to be in the house of the Lord. They want to worship together with the other God, God's other children. They want to be in the community of worship. We, we long for that. I long for these pews to be overflowing. But I am not willing to jeopardize and to, <laughs> to water down the gospel to make it happen today. Because that's what happens. That's what draws people in. Ones who don't see the truth. People will be eager and open. See, this, this moment that, that Isaiah is talking about actually first began at Pentecost. When the disciples are in the room and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they go out and they, 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 they speak the gospel to all the people who were there from all the different nations, all the Jews from all the different nations, and the Jews hear them. The disciples are speaking in their language and the, the Jews in, from the different places hear them in their own tongue. And you see the result. Thousands were added to the church that day because of it. And today, the same thing, the same process is, is continuing through Christian missions. But we're finding that it will be fulfilled in the latter days. There will be this overflowing river of conversions to Christ. Even the Jews, even Jewish people, there will be a huge, huge revival amongst Jewish people. They will begin to believe in Jesus Christ. See, verse 3, it uses this phrase, it says, out of Zion. Out of Zion shall go forth the law. And the implication here is that is only in Zion will the law come from. It will not come from all different places. It will come from there and there alone, exclusively. Today the gospel is accused of being intolerant. If, if I was to go out to the marketplace today and if I, if I openly and without abandon share the gospel and share the good news to people, I'd be called intolerant. You would be called intolerant. But if you look at this verse, it says many peoples, which means people from everywhere, every nationality, every walk of life, will turn to Christ. There's this huge... Whenever, whenever we see about, about the, the coming revival in, in Revelation and what Isaiah is talking about here, we see this beautiful diversity. When, when we were up in South Dakota, you know, we were there and... Uh, the reality is we were probably a minority because there were probably more 
American Indian, more Indians, more Africans. You know, there were a lot of people there from a lot of different countries. But yet, you felt this brotherhood. You felt together. It was so diverse, but it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And what will happen is, the whole world will freely choose to rally to Jesus Christ because of the irresistible force of his dying love. That's what saves us. That's what, that's what, we, that's what we first believe in when we're, when we're told the gospel, the fact that Jesus died for you. That's the first thing that starts to change our heart. But that doesn't, that's not where it stops. Because from our human perspective, Jesus is just so alluring because of what he did, but also because of what he will do. And in verse 4, Isaiah is going to talk about what Jesus will do. He says, he shall, bring, he shall judge between the nations. He shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn, they learn war anymore. You know, we, we live in a, especially now, I mean, we've got Putin on the border of um, Ukraine. Ukraine. I'm going to lose words. Ukraine. We have, you know, everybody's gearing up for war. We have the, the threat of an I call it a threat because that's what it is, a threat of, of civil war in many countries. People are tired of being having a thumb pushed on them and told what we have to do and what we can't do. But the time is coming when, when Jesus will bring peace. We, we long for peace. Every president tries to, to, to broker a peace deal in the Middle East. How many of them have succeeded? None. None. None of them have succeeded. Why? Because none of them will have everlasting peace until Jesus Christ comes. Even the Antichrist can't keep the peace for very long. See, when the gospel reigns supreme in the hearts of men, there'll be no more inclination to go to war. There will no longer be orphans and widows for men who have gone off and died in battle. Money will no longer be needed to purchase military hardware. Now, I'll be honest with you. I love guns. I love the way they look, the way they feel. I think it's, it's, it's amazing. I won't need them anymore. I won't. In fact, I don't think I'll even want them anymore. Because of the peace that comes by Jesus Christ when this happens. Jesus himself is going to settle the disputes with justice. You know, we had this lofty idea when we founded this country that we'd have a, a Supreme Court that would do things with justice. They don't. It's all political. It really is. But Jesus won't be. It'll be just there's, this is our only hope, is the justice that Jesus is going to bring. And the great thing about it is, we don't have to wait for it. We can live 
in it now. And this is what Isaiah says. He says in verse 5, he says, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. He's not saying, O house of Jacob, one day we will walk in the light of the Lord. No, he says, come, now, walk in the light of the Lord. Experience the peace and the joy that comes from Christ now. And see, all the nations will come to the mountain of God and the people will walk in the light. But see, you and I have this great opportunity that we can, we can live this prophetic example today. In 1 John, John writes, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. What is he saying? He's saying, if you love Jesus and you're learning from Jesus, you're going to love other people and you're going to be in relationships with them and it's going to be good. It's going to be just. It's going to be righteous. It's going to be awesome. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light. See, the problem is the darkness, it allures us. Don't you ever wonder what's in the dark? You know, I look out my window and, you know, I know there are cats and rabbits and squirrels and a couple coons out there. I actually have night vision goggles that I can put on and I can, so I can see what's out there. I want to see what's in the dark. That's the problem. In our lives, spiritually, we want to see what's in the dark and that darkness allures us and takes us away. We need to walk in the light. You know that if you have light, no amount of darkness will cover it up? Do you know that? But if, you're in, if, but if you have darkness, a little bit of light, a little bit of candle will push the darkness away. We need to walk in the light. Walking in the light means growing in holiness, maturing in our faith as we follow Christ. And it also, it also means godly fellowship with each other, loving each other. See, we need to let the promise of God have full impact on us today. This promise that Isaiah is saying that, that you know, if we walk in the light of the Lord, that God, Jesus is going to come. He's going to, he's going to make it right. He's going to make justice rule. There's not going to be any war. There's going to be peace. Everybody's going to be seeking after God. We can have the full impact of that today. And that's the power of hope. And we definitely need it. We need, in today's world, we need hope. But we also need humility. We need humility. And Isaiah, in chapter, verse 6 of chapter 2, he says, this is what he says, you have rejected your people. It's talking to God. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob. Why? Because they are full of things from the east. And fortune tellers, like the Philistines, they're worldly. They've brought everything in. They brought things in from the outside. The same thing the church is doing today. And they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses, and there is no end to their chariots. They're prosperous. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. The Israelites are full of pride. Isn't that what we do when, when we're when things are prosperous, when we're when things are going good? You know, oh, isn't that great? It's great. Ah, oh, yeah, I did all these wonderful things. We get prideful. 
And then when we, when we stumble, when things happen to us that we don't think we deserve, what do we do? We, God, why are you doing this to me? I don't deserve this. All good things come from God. You're prosperous because he made you, he allowed you to be prosperous. But they were full of pride. They rejected God and they sought after the things of the world. They sought after idols. All these things their hands had made. They had pride in the world and pride in the worship of their idols. Now the key words in these verses, the uh, first one is full and filled. Those are two words that are, that are key. See, today in the church, we kind of have that same problem. See, we can be full of worldly wisdom. We can be full, filled with money. We can be full to the brim with people. We can be filled with power and even filled with idols. When the reality is we should be filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the light. Many times we, we fill ourselves with false ideas. As, I'm, as I've been studying and doing a lot of watching of um, what I would call um, mainline I wouldn't call them progressive because that's a whole other story, but a whole other line of trouble I've been studying. But mainline churches that are that are seeker sensitive, they're they're full of human false ideas and ideals and comforts. And the reason why we do this, the reason why I think we we try to accumulate things and why we we look for things to to make us happy is because we're empty inside. Empty. We've lost our sense of who God is. So what happens? Isaiah's gonna he's gonna tell the people, and I think we're at that same place where they were. Maybe not in the same way. I mean, I don't think we we don't bow down to idols. Well, we do. (laughs) Maybe not physically, but I think emotionally and mentally we do. But he's gonna tell them what's gonna happen. In verse 9, he says, So man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. I read that, and I read that a couple times. I'm like, what is he saying? See, when, when when we fill ourselves up with everything but God, we're not truly going to be enriched. We're not... We're not going to be fully full. There's always something more that we need. And ultimately, what God is going to do, he's going to bring us low. Now, what does that mean? It means that he's going to take us, and we're going to be down on our knees, asking him to forgive us. He's going to show us how pitiful we truly are. I am not looking forward to that time. But I am looking forward to that time. Because I need the truth. I need the truth. That's why some tur- <laughs> there are churches today and pastors today who will not preach that we're all sinners. I'm sorry. The truth is you're a sinner. And we sin all the time. And we need forgiveness. And we need to, we need to repent. Sometimes daily. Most of the time daily. Because we're, we, just, we live in this world. We, we struggle with our sin nature. That's why Paul tells us to put it to death. 
See, what Isaiah is saying here when he says, do not forgive them, we run the risk of coming to that point of no return where it'll be too late to ask God to forgive us. We see examples in Scripture. I brought this up before. Ananias and Sapphira. They cheated. They lied to the Holy Spirit. They were taken like that. There was no repentance, at least that we can read in Scripture. It was too late. God knew they were never going to repent. So he took them. And I don't, we, we, we see different times this happens. But, you know, I don't know what God's going to do, but I don't want to get myself to the point where I'm sinning so much and I think it's okay and I'm living in the world and living with materialism and living it's, it's, and having idols and being filled with the wrong things that I get to the point where I can't see God anymore. And he says, it's too late. See, when we're filled with so many wrong things, so many empty things, forgiveness becomes unthinkable. That's why he brings us low. He says, I'm going to take you to the lowest spot so you realize how much you need me. That's your last opportunity to see me and come to me. Lay your burdens on me. I'll carry them for you. And I'll lift you up after I bring you low, if you turn to me. But see, the, the time comes where it may be too late. And it's not that God doesn't still love, I mean, I'm sure God still loved Ananias and Sapphira. He still loved them. But see, the problem is, is when we're at that point, if, if we turn from God, and if he pours out blessings upon us, what are we going to do? We're going to turn that back into self-salvation. Oh, God's blessing me, so I guess i got to go to him. No, we will say, ah, look what I did. See, it's proof. I didn't need God. I did this on my own. So God doesn't pour out his blessings on somebody who is that unrepentant and never going to repent. And you say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. What about these people who are rich? I'm not sure what God's doing. All I know is what the Word says. God does things that I can't understand and I can't fully explain and fathom. What I do know is, is that he's going to bring us low and we must repent. We have to be emptied of the fullness of ourselves. That is so easy to be full of ourselves. I, I, I struggle with that. I struggle with being full of myself. I'm, I'm pretty good with computers. I, let me say it this way. I'm probably better than most people with computers. I can figure stuff out pretty easily. You know what he did to me this week? He made me forget a password. I still can't remember it. For the light, and I've tried every password in my brain, and I can't find it. So what's he telling me? He's telling me, you're getting a little too full of yourself. I still, I'm still learning that lesson. But we have to empty ourselves of the fullness of ourselves in our lives. And then then that's the only time we really can witness the greatness of God when we are helpless against his judgment and he is restoring us by grace. And this is what Isaiah tells him. He says, this is what happens. He says, enter into the rock, in verse 10, and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. 
I'm not so sure we've experienced this yet. I don't think we've truly experienced the terror of God so much that we want to hide in the dust and into the rock. He says, The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted on that day. This is again talking about the end of days. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Against the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up. Against the oaks of Bashan, against the lofty mountains, against all the uplifted hills, against every high tower, against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, and against all the beautiful craft. See, all the things that man has made that we take pride in. And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted on that day, and the idols shall utterly pass away. And look what it says. What happens because of the terror of the Lord, of all these things happening. It says, And the people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. This is talking about the tribulation. It's talking about God showing himself, stepping into this world in such a way that they are, there's no doubt that there's something going on. But believe me, even within that, there will be those who will not turn to him. And they will be the ones who are running to hide. A day is coming when sinful pretensions of many of the hunt will be humbled. See, it's God alone who's to be exalted on that day. And that's what will happen. That's what he's talking about in verses 12 through 14. But we also see it in Revelation. I want to read for you from you what it says in Revelation. When he, and this is Revelation 6. It says, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Hmm, sounds kind of like what Isaiah was talking about. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains. Huh. That's exactly what Isaiah was saying. Everything that exalts itself against God will be brought low when Jesus' kingdom comes. Now, the question some people ask, well, you know, why does why does God have to be exalted? Is he some kind of megalomaniac? I mean, that's what the world will ask. Is he some kind of crazy man who thinks everybody should, should bow to him and, and nobody else can succeed? He's the only one who's to be successful? What we have to understand is the glory of God entails both his happiness and our happiness. See, when we're, when we're egocentric, when we, when we only think of ourselves and we're self-exalted, in reality what we're doing is we're degrading ourselves. We, we think, it's a strange dichotomy. We, I, I think when I lift myself up, I'm, I'm, I'm making myself feel better and look better. And The reality is I'm degrading myself. But see, when we are humble, 
When, when in humility we come to God, he pours out honors upon us. There is no one, and, and not even if the whole world attempted to do this, there's no one that can rob God of the glory that's due him. In Psalm 113.4 says, The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. You and I, we're not a threat to God. We're not a threat. He's not insecure. He's not insecure in his insistence that we worship him alone and we glorify him. But see, what we think is, we think that if, if I glorify God, then, and then I'm not going to be happy. We think there's an antithesis between his glory and my joy. That those two are constantly in competition with each other. But the reality is much different. Because his glory and our joy are at the center of his heart. The problem is, I think we get the wrong idea of what joy is. Why? Because we haven't experienced it like God's going to give us. It's going to be more joy than we could ever imagine. All these things, all these troubles we go through in this life, and even all the greatest joys we have in this life, will pale in comparison to the joy we have when we're with Christ. See, we try to compete against God's will to reach our own potential. And that's pride. We think much too highly of ourselves and much too poorly of who God is. We struggle to understand that his love and his glory and his love for us are all the same love. Because see, God is calling us to love him and love each other and to long for that day where we will be happy forever in the glory of Christ with him. Our true fulfillment will not happen. We will not find true joy until we are, we are united with Christ again. We long for that. Isaiah tells us to strip away all the surface problems in our lives. Because, you know, the real problem with humans is that we have too much pride. The truth is that his glory is another word for heaven. So God has set aside a day in human history where he will bring low all those who exalt themselves. He'll permanently destroy prideful barriers in people's lives. And true joy will inhabit the human heart. But not everybody's going to experience it. Because what about these people who run to the caves because they're afraid? You have to know Christ to be joyful about what's coming. Because if not, if you're not a child, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you're not going to be the one that's going to be full of joy. You're going to be the one running to the caves to hide. It's going to be terrible, terrible and ter terrifying. And God alone will be exalted on the day. And see, that, that's the greatest news possible. The good news is that he died for us. The great news is that we're going to live with him forever. Now, I know that there are some people who feel uneasy about the end of days or the day of the Lord. And we should be uneasy. 
See, the worst thing that can happen to us is not that God's terror and what God's going to do in deconstructing the whole world. You know, the worst thing is not the loss of our, you know, I've saved up all my life for retirement. Oh, now Jesus comes back and, well, that was a waste of time, right? Oh, I didn't get to see my kids grow up. Oh, man, really, God? You had to pick this time? I mean, that's not what's the worst of it. That's not the worst thing that could happen to us. The worst thing that happens to us is when we lose the delight of the glory of God alone. That is the worst thing that could happen to us. And I think that is what's happening to us today. That is what the evil one is trying to do. He's trying to get us to lose our our focus on the glory of God and put the glory back on us. That is the worst that could happen to us. The best thing that can can happen is that we awaken to God's glory. Even if it takes God humbling us to the lowest point possible. Isaiah continues, he says, In that day mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made themselves to worship. They will realize, we don't need these things. This is all just a joke. To the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. See, in our pride, we build our lives full of idols. We do. No, we don't, you know, not little statues, but we all have idols, our jobs, our money, our bank account, our family, our abilities. People say we don't idol worship today. Yeah, we do. The medical industry, people have idolized that. People have idolized our presidents. What is man? What is man? They should even think about it. What's, a man's nothing. We make things we worship, but when God's glory is finally revealed, it's going to be a terrible day for those who do not delight in God's control and his power. They will realize the worthlessness of the idols that they have in their life. And they'll be empty. What it says in verse 22, Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? You know, we think we're pretty sophisticated. But the problem is that we're easily impressed. I'm not going to go through the list of people that we, you know. We, we, we place people on pedestals. You, you saw it over the last couple of years. You know, we place this president on the pedestal. Now we're placing this president on the pedestal. We press, we place this person in government on a pedestal. Then we, we talk about Supreme Court. We place this person on the, this judge on a pedestal because, oh, you know, we look up to them. That's, 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 that's the good person. Guess what? They're all sinners. There's no one good. But we think we're so, we're impressed by people's personality, their power, their supposed wisdom, their wealth. And in our self-confidence, we're unable to walk in the light of Christ. So God calls us to take a very bold step. And what that step is, is to reject man and humbly seek God. Where's your hope? Shouldn't be in man. Should be in God. Learn to enjoy God. 
Don't put value in the things that you might lose because ultimately, understand, everything will be burned up. Don't put your joy and your focus and your pride in the things of this life and the people of this world because everything will be burned in the end. Put your hope and your joy and your focus on God. Paul told the church of Philippians, in Philippians 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. See, the world will say, you're being unreasonable if you follow God. God says, no, there's nothing more reasonable than following me. The Lord is at hand, which means he's coming soon. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, understand that, that, that verse 7 there is not saying that if, if we trust God, that we will have peace in our whole lives, that everything's going to be peaceful all around us. That's not what it says. What it says is that his peace will guard your heart and your mind, which means everything around you will be total mayhem. And you'll sit there with a smile on your face. Why? Because you have the peace of Christ. Not because everything's perfect. Because you have the joy of knowing that one day God is to be glorified in God alone. See, the the triumph of God and his glory will be enough to make our happiness. It'll make it complete. It'll make it forever. And it'll make it invincible if we only, only trust in Him for our hope. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.